you have your Bible with you, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3. I, uh, I was thinking this week, I, I love to preach. I really, it's just one of those things I, I feel called to do it and, and I, I love to do it. Um, but this doctrine, it, it has not been my favorite just because it's, it's more teaching and not preaching. I, I hope you're finding it um, advantageous to your spiritual life. I hope you're, you're able to build a foundation out of this. I believe the material is, is so important for us as we grow as Christians. But there are times I struggle with it just because it's not what I like to do. I, I like to get up and preach and just uh, a lot of application. And, and sometimes that's missing in the doctrine series that we're doing on Sunday night. But I hope that God is, is using it. I, I hope that in our life we are Maybe not going as far, but we're going deeper. Uh, deeper on things that maybe we don't look at a lot uh, in sermons and in uh, environments like this. So this evening, we're going to look at sin and the way it affects our life. The history of the human race is the history of man and a state of sin and rebellion against God and God's plan to bring redemption and reconciliation back to himself. We see that all throughout history. We see where man is sinful, man rebels against God, man chooses to do the opposite of what God demanded that we do, but then God is the one who brings about reconciliation. I would define sin in this way. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, our nature. Sin is more than just the things that we do. It is more than just going out and stealing or going out and committing murder or going out and having an affair. Sin is much more than that. Even when you get in the Old Testament and you look at the law of God in Exodus chapter 20, the Lord says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. He didn't just say don't steal. He didn't just say don't take it. But he said make sure in your heart that you are pure. Make sure in your heart that you are not coveting something that does not belong to you. And the same is true in the New Testament. We find in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not murder but I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart has already committed adultery with her. And so he takes it to the next level. It's not just sin on what you do, but you can be found sinful based upon your heart, based upon your motives based upon who you are on the inside, kind of like what we talked about this morning. We can all play the games, and we can all look holy, righteous, and pious, but God knows who we truly are. That's why even the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you are on the inside. He's not talking about the outside. Now, that will show itself in outward works. But he says, on the inside, I want you to love me with everything that you are and with everything that you have got. And to not do so is sin. 
We know that sin brings harm to our lives. It is destructive. It brings pain. And it brings consequences. Sin is more than simply painful. It is wrong in the deepest sense of the word. In a universe that is created by such a good, good father, such a good God, sin should not be. Sin is directly opposed to all that is good in the world. It is directly opposed to God and his nature. Sin is a contradiction to the holiness of God, and God hates it. If you get nothing else tonight, understand this. God hates sin. Man, if we could just understand that, it would change our life. If we could understand tonight that the sin in my life, God hates it. The sin in your life, God hates it. Many times we try to pretend like it's not a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing a whole lot worse. God doesn't play those games. The Lord says, be holy as who is holy? It's your heavenly Father is holy. There's the standard. And so if we're living a life that does not reach that standard, God is not satisfied with it. If there's something in your life that is sinful, I can promise you it is a big deal to God. We forget that, don't we? Our society, we forget that. We don't understand that. And so we live our life and we give in to any whim that we have. We do whatever feels good. We do whatever everybody else is doing. Students, you see that at school, don't you? We just give in. We go with whatever anybody else is doing. But in the Word of God, we're shown that God hates sin. Well, if you were with us three weeks ago, we looked at the origin of sin we looked at that Satan is the one who sinned. He wanted to be like God in heaven. But I want us to look uh, this evening about the first sin of man. So you're open, Genesis chapter 3. Let's read the account. It begins in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. The first sin of man, and I want to show you a few things because there's a lot of similarities between this sin and every sin that has happened ever since. In this episode, in this narrative, we see that sin struck at the basis for knowledge, for it gave a different answer to the question of what is true. God had already told Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree, what was going to happen? They were going to die. You eat from that tree and you are surely going to die. But the enemy came and he says in verse 4, Hey, if you eat from that tree, 
you will not die. There's a difference in truth. And Eve decided that she had to think about it. She had the word of God on one side, and she had the word of this talking snake. There's your first sign, right? I mean, if a snake is talking to you, you ought to know this is not good. She didn't get that. So anyway, she's trying to decide which one is true. Should I believe what God said, or should I believe what this snake has to say? And I believe that every time we sin today, we go through that same question. Was God true, or is everything else around me true? Was God right when he said, I should do this, or I shouldn't do this? Or is God wrong when he says that? You see, we know this. Every one of us in here, we know that in the word of God, we are shown what is right and what is wrong. Very few gray areas that you come to. The word of God shows us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But every time we sin, we take our trust off of God. Haven't you ever seen someone in life and they were, they were making wrong decisions and you saw that it was going to lead to destruction and you wanted so bad to shake them and say, you got to quit this. This is going to ruin your life. But they didn't believe you. They didn't think you were right. Brittany and I, we worked with, with youth for so long and I remember we would, we would teach on Wednesday nights and on Sundays about the Lord's plan for our lives. Some of our teaching dealt with uh, sexual purity and how you should remain pure until marriage. And I remember there was this young lady, and I could see in her life that she was making wrong decisions. I, I could see that she was going down a path that was going to have some big consequences. And so we kept on teaching the Word of God. And one day she came in, and I don't know, 16 years old or so around it, and she came in and she said, I'm pregnant. And I saw it coming way back, and I'm thinking, I'm telling you what's true. I'm telling you God has a plan for your life. This is the best plan for your life. But she bought into the lies of the enemy and didn't trust the truth of God. And there may be some ways in, in my life and in your life that we've stopped trusting God. And it's going to lead to destruction. So it, 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 it argued with truth. Number two, it struck at the basis for moral standard, what is right. The, the Lord came and said, it's right that you do not eat of this specific tree. But the enemy came in and said, it's okay, eat from this tree. It's no big deal, eat from this tree. Because if you eat from this tree, you're going to be like God. In verse 6 it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband. We see the justification of sin. It's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. And how many times have we seen that in life? How many times do we justify and say, it's okay, this is not wrong any longer? You ever talk to an alcoholic that says that? They try to justify their alcoholism? You ever talk to someone that, that's a homosexual and they try to justify, I was born this way. God doesn't have a problem with this in my life. And, and let's just not pick on things that maybe we don't struggle with. We do the same thing, don't we? It's not a big deal that I watch this show that is so ungodly. Everybody else is watching it, and so we justify the things we watch. 
It's okay if I go to this movie that takes the precious name of God and curses it. Everybody else is going to this movie, and so we justify also. We go through life, and we justify this sin, and we justify this sin, and we justify this sin. God told us what the moral standard is. He told us what is right, but we allow the lies of the enemy to come in and deceive us, just like it happened with Eve. You notice she began to look at this tree, and she said, that is a good-looking tree. And then she began to look at the fruit on that tree, and she said, boy, I bet that fruit is tasty. And maybe if I, if I eat of this, of this tree, maybe I will be more like God. And so she began to go down this slippery slope to where she looks, and then she peers, and then she begins to imagine, and she's getting further and further and further away from the plans of God. I wonder if you've experienced that in your life, because I have. That's how the enemy works. And so it, it dealt with what is true. It, it dealt with what is moral. And then thirdly, their sin gave a different answer to the question of who am I? Who am I? Adam and Eve were created. They were creatures of God. They were dependent upon God. They were always to be subordinate to God. But the enemy came in and said, that's not who you are. You know who you are? You're to be like God. And if you just go and eat that fruit, you'll find that's true. You'll be like God. I believe like no other time in history, we have people that have no idea who they are. They have no idea what their purpose is. And instead of worshiping our creator, all of a sudden we are worshiping humanism, secular humanism. Let, let's make humanity stronger. Let's make humanity better. Let's seek more education. Let's seek more money. Let's elevate humanity and begin to worship humanity. And because of that, people are lost. We see it. people are lost. There are people today, they don't even know which bathroom to go to. And I know we can, we can chuckle at that, but do you know how sad that must be? How sad it must be to wake up and be so confused inside of your soul, to, to, to be so bogged down by the sin of the world that you don't even know who you are. You don't know which bathroom to go to. You don't know if you're a, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, and you're just so lost. That's what the sin does. That's what the sin of the world does. It comes in and says, you're, you're not somebody created in the image of God. You have no idea who you are any longer. And so there's a world of people out here, and they have no idea who they are. They have no idea they were created for a purpose. They have no idea they have a God that loves them, that wants a relationship with them. They are lost because they have bought into the lies of the enemy. I believe that sin is ultimately irrational. It makes no sense. It made no sense for, for Satan to give up all that he had to try to be above God. It made no sense. It, it made no sense for Eve in that beautiful garden with all that she had, all the, the wonderful sights around her, to not be satisfied and to, to want the fruit. It, it made no sense. It makes no sense every time in my life that I choose to give in to the lies of the enemy over the truth of God. It makes no sense. I believe that sin is ultimately irrational. Psalm 14.1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The fool 
in the book of Proverbs is the one who recklessly lives in sin. So let's talk just for a moment tonight about the doctrine of inherited sin. How does the sin of Adam, sin that was taken part in years and years and years and years ago, how does that affect me and you here this evening? First of all, I'll tell you that we are counted guilty because of Adam's sin. Flip over to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you get that? He said sin came into the world through one man, but now through that one man, sin went to all men, and now all men are going to die. Now look at verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. He said when you get from the time in biblical history from Adam to Moses, there is no written law, right? The law, Moses is the one who received the law. And so all these generations, they sinned, but they did not sin against the law because there was no law. But still, these men died. They still had the punishment. Where did the punishment come from? It came from the sin of Adam. Because Adam sinned, everyone for the generations that will follow are counted as sinful. Same chapter, look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Though we did not yet exist, God looking into the future and knowing that we would exist began thinking of us and as those who were guilty like Adam. It says that God looked down through history, he looked down through the generations, and he looks upon us, and we are counted as guilty because Adam broke the curse, and he gave in to sin, and so we are counted guilty. Now, if we're honest, we're going to step back for a moment, and we're going to say, this doesn't seem like a good deal, right? I mean, this kind of seems unfair. Why are we being punished for what Adam has done? And that may be an argument, but I have given in to sin. What about you? Have you purposely given in to sin? And so we're in the same boat as Adam, right? We're in the same boat. We have given in to it. And so for all of, of human history, God looks down the line, and even before we are born, we have sin on our life. Romans 2.6 it says that God will render to every man according to his works. It doesn't mean that your works are not important. Colossians 3.25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. But when God looks at humanity, he sees the sin of Adam. Now, if we think it is not fair for us to be seen as guilty because of Adam then we also should think that it is not fair for us to be seen righteous through Jesus. 
You see, we get the better end of this deal, and the reason why is because every one of us in here, now if this is not true, you raise your hand and we'll talk about it. Every one of us in here have given in to sin. We have chosen to go against God and to do what is wrong. And so because of that and because of the sin of Adam, we are, we are shown as sinful. But just as Adam represented humanity in the same way Christ Jesus represents humanity and his blood is imputed upon me and upon you if you're a believer and when God looks down on us, he sees the blood of Christ and we are shown as righteous. And it's not because of the works that I've done or the works that you've done, but it is because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed. That makes sense? And so we're counted guilty through Adam, but we are counted righteous through Jesus Christ if we surrender our life to him. Now you're in Romans 5, look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, and so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. I, I love that verse. I love that. That's a good time to say Amen. To say that we can have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on my life. I don't deserve it. I'm certainly not righteous. But because of the blood that was shed, we can receive that. All right, so we see that because of this sin, we also have a sinful nature. Psalm 51.5, David says this. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You remember the context of the 51st Psalm? It was right after David had committed his act with Bathsheba. Remember, he had a, an affair with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. He had her husband killed. I mean, just a, just a bad act in this time. David was not doing what was right during this time. And Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. And so David is looking back and he says, man, I was, I was born in iniquity. Even when I was young, I was born in this sin. I've got this sinful nature in my life. Have you experienced that? Anybody else experienced that sinful nature? All you got to do is have kids and you see it easy. You know, I, I did not have to teach my kids to lie. They learned to lie. I did not have to teach my children to be disobedient. They just learned how, right? I didn't have to teach these things. We have to teach our children how to tell the truth. We have to teach our children how to be obedient. That's why Ephesians 6, it says, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You're in Romans. Look at Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. Look at Romans 7, 15. You'll be familiar with this, with this section of, of verses. It is the, the inward struggle that Paul is, is putting into words. And Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. Man, that's good, isn't it? 
Because I can relate to that. Paul says, I don't understand my life. I know what I want to do. And as a child of God, I want to honor God. And I want to make good decisions. And I want to live a life of, of holiness and of purity. But at the same time, I keep doing the wrong things. I keep giving in to the, the sinful nature inside of me. And it's like I'm being ripped apart because of it. Can you relate to that? You ever had a time where you experienced that? As children of God, that's our life, isn't it? We're trying to honor God, but we know there is this sinful nature inside of us. Hopefully it begins to be less and less and less, but I don't know, it's still there in my life. I still struggle with it. Not only do we have a sinful nature, but we totally lack spiritual good before God. Romans seven eighteen it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ephesians 4, it says, They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. Not only that, every action that we do is unable to please God. Romans 8, 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know what it means? It means that if you're lost, if someone is lost, they can come to church every time the doors are opened, but God is not pleased with it. If someone is lost, they can come and they can give money every time the plate is passed. God is not satisfied with it. Somebody can come and they can sing to the best of their abilities. They can sing in the choir. They can play an instrument. They can drive a bus. They can work in Awanas. They can work in Blast. They can do all of these works and all of these things. But if you don't have a genuine relationship with God, he is not satisfied. Just like we talked about this morning, it takes that genuine relationship. Nothing else can reach it. And there's a lot of people that believe if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm going to be okay. That's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. The way that you're going to be okay is if you surrender everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on in Isaiah and it says, All of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Psalm 143, 2, we'll close up with this. It says, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are a sinful people. We are born into sin. We got, let's see what time is. We've got more to go, but I don't want to start the next topic um, short on time. So let's just stop here and we'll pick, up, we'll pick up next week. But I want you to think about your life. I want you to maybe close your eyes and, and bow your head. And I want you to think about this. We have looked tonight at sin in our life. And so it would be easy to walk away from this and say, well, I am counted sinful because of Adam. I have a sinful nature. Paul struggled with sin, and 
So do I. But you know what the mark of a, of a true believer is? One who hates sin in the way that God hates sin. Listen, if you're in here, if I'm in here tonight and we have sin in our life, we have sin in our heart, and it's no problem to us, it's no big deal, we really need to evaluate our salvation. Because one of the signs of salvation is that we will not be satisfied with a life of sin. The scripture says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and see my thoughts. See if there's any unclean way in me. And then lead me in the path of righteousness. In other words, to look inside your heart. That's what I'm asking you to do. Look inside your heart right now and say, Lord, is there anything inside of me that does not honor you? Is there any sin in my life that I'm not even aware of? Is there anything in my life that does not please you? And what are you going to do about it? Are you ready to change? Are you ready to, to leave it, to confess your sins? He's faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. True repentance means that we turn away from it. True repentance means that we're broken over our sin. True repentance means that we, we try with all of our might to not do it again. Search me, O oh God. Look in my heart. Look in my mind. See if there's any way in me that is not bringing glory to you. Because I want to walk in the way of righteousness. I want to live a life that honors you. Lord, may that be true of, of this church and of our lives, God. I pray that, God, you will show us things that don't honor you. Show us if there's something inside of us that, that is not bringing you glory. And Lord, I pray that we will be a people that will be seeking so greatly after you that we will sacrifice these things. We'll sacrifice the things that don't bring you honor and that don't bring you glory. Let us to be a people that love you more than anything else. Lord, we thank you for this time of study. And mostly we thank you, God, that we can have the righteousness of Jesus on our life. It's not based upon how good we are or what we do or what we can do or what we have done, but it's all based upon Jesus. So, Lord, thank you for that gift. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. Don't forget about the other activities.